got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy and does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. So is the guy on the left Jerry Lewis and uh, Braxton's trying to be Dean Martin here? <laughs> the straight guy and the funny guy? They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this, it, I, I, I was not impressed. Hell, Jonathan Pritchett. This Jonathan Pritchett. Fresh and Jonathan Pritchett. Jonathan Pritchett. And Respectfully, that sounds like a little bit of a dodge. I'm claiming victory. So where I come from, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is Braxton Hunter. And today we are going to be responding to Matt Dillahunty's video, Nothing Fails Like Prayer, named after the worst song ever written by Dan Barker. But we're also, this is kind of a second part to, there was a previous video on prayer um, that you can check out, uh, which is titled something like A Christian Response to Jacqueline Glenn, Penn Gillette, and a whole bunch of other atheists. Well, Every atheist, other atheists I could name so that it'll come up in a search. But uh, this is the second part of that. And the thing is, there are certain things we wish that atheists understood about prayer. Now, I don't mean that to sound condescending because some of you out there would say, we understand everything you understand about prayer because we used to be Christians. Oh. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Um, I, that may well be true about you as an individual, but what we hear atheist popularizers saying about prayer on YouTube videos gets prayer wrong. And so we want to clarify that. And in this video particularly, uh, what uh, Matt Dillahunty has to say about the Bible... By the way, I appreciate that Matt Dillahunty is interacting with the Bible. Mm-hmm. and so, But we, we think that uh, there are some rules about how to do biblical interpretation, um, and things like that that we want to uh, clarify here that I think straighten out the wrinkles in what he has to say and then overturn the bed. So <laughs> we're going to see what uh, what he has to say. So, uh, Dr. Pritchett, do you want to say anything as we jump in, or should I start playing Dillahunty now? Yeah, I, I like it that they have read a sentence from the Bible and then talk about it. That's, I mean, like you, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it less than you do. Because this kind of random sentence theology, I mean, it's it really doesn't work because you wouldn't really do that with any other literature, mm-hmm. you know, and then make claims. So if I said, Braxton, we need more courses on the schedule. So any courses you'd like to teach, ask, and it will be given to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what's the context there? The context is any course in the name relative uh, uh, yeah. to seminary yeah. ask, that uh, we need taught. <laughs> ask uh, to teach any course in the name of Trinity, and it'll be given. You know, yeah. if you ask to teach, you know, if you ask if you can teach a course and it's in the name of Trinity, it will be a course for Trinity. Right. Yeah, that's right. All right, so let's jump in. Unless and, it's a, you know, well, I mean, and even then it would be conditional. We've played part of what Dillahunty said in this video in the last video, so we're going to jump to where he begins talking about Scripture, and we'll pick it up from there. Okay. So my friend comes to me and says essentially, look, take a look at John fifteen seven because it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Uh that verse seems to suggest that if you're a believer in good standing, if you are, uh, as modern 
Christian churches might put it, right in your walk with the Lord, uh, then ask whatever you wish and God will grant it. That seems pretty straightforward. The problem is we know that there are problems here uh, because there are plenty of people who we would think would be uh, Christians in good standing who clearly pray and don't get what they've asked for. Now, the conclusions that one can draw from this state of affairs of here's John 15, 7, uh, people asking for things and then they don't get it is, uh, first of all, they weren't right with God. Um, second of all, God doesn't actually work this way and the verse is wrong. Uh, or there isn't a God and the verse is still wrong because it's talking about what, what God will grant. And he was pointing out that, you know, clearly there are people who are in desperate situations. Uh, and in those desperate situations, one would think they could probably be no more right with God or no more uh, credentialed as a Christian uh, in these life or death situations. A storm is barreling down on them. But if you take a mass metropolitan area, something like Houston, and the, and the hurricane is moving towards them, surely if anyone there was right with God and asked for the hurricane to dissipate, then you would expect, according to John 15, 7, that this would happen. And it didn't happen, which means that either nobody there asked for it, or nobody there was right with God, or this is all nonsense. Um, I find it hard to believe that nobody there asked for that. I would imagine that uh, as soon as the weather reports start hitting, there are people in their homes uh, praying with all their might. Uh, and if they're not, aren't they terrible people? Like, imagine that John 15, 7 was, was accurate, and you, you believed it was accurate, and you're, you're a believer, and you are sitting there in Houston or Puerto Rico. You're sitting in Puerto Rico, and the hurricane is barreling down on you, and you knew that you could just pray, and it would go away, and yet you opted not to. Doesn't that make you kind of a moral monster? I mean, there's no, this doesn't require any putting yourself at risk. You're, you're, you're already at risk. But it's worse than that because you don't have to actually be in Puerto Rico. What it means is as the hurricane is barreling down on Puerto Rico, there was nobody on the planet who was both right with God and asked for the hurricane to spare Puerto Rico. Now, it could be that maybe nobody's right with God because we're all terrible. Or it could be that nobody's right with God because there's no God to be right with it. Nobody's abiding in his word. Um, but this thing isn't even necessarily tied to how good of a Christian one is or, or anything. This is about whether or not you are adhering to, to God's word and God's word lives within you. Whatever you ask for, you get. They've got this one example with Puerto Rico. I would think that, does that mean everybody on the planet's terrible? And if so, what use is it to talk about, ah, if you're right with God, whatever you ask for, I'll grant. Because that's kind of like saying, if you could do a standing jump over Mount Everest, I'll grant you whatever you want. I mean, if it's something that's impossible, it's something that nobody could do, something that nobody could live up to, it's pointless to, to make this claim. Eminent systematic theologian Matt Dillahunty says that this verse um, is problematic because it is either wrong or um, you're not in the will of God, even though plenty of people... Uh, ask for things, or, you know, God doesn't exist, or whatever. Well, um, 
to respond to his theological issues with this, uh, I would just like to read the passage because you know what comes before John fifteen seven. John fifteen six and five and four and three and two and one. So let's read the text and see what it says. I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, if you're abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, and his words are abiding in you, there's a unison there. And the goal yeah. here is to glorify the Father in bearing much fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, so whatever you ask in my name, as it regards to the unified goal of glorifying the Father in the production of fruit, yeah. So so if he were sitting here and, and Dill Hunty were to say something like, yeah, but, but isn't it, like, isn't it, uh, glorifying to God if someone is healed of some disease or something. And people ask for that all the time, and they don't get it. So yeah, what's this, going on is there? Is this talking about healing or bearing much fruit? Yeah. Yeah. So whatever courses I uh, you want to teach in the name of Trinity, <laughs> it'll be done for you. Yeah, that's the analogy. Yeah. With. And, you know, and even then... Yeah, there is the condition he was kind of right as far as, you know, in the will of God or whatever, talking about abiding in Christ. But there is a context here about you producing much fruit. Yeah. You know, uh, whether that be in evangelism, good works, or whatever. So in other words, the context matters. Yes. And that simple hermeneutical principle resolves this. Yes, this doesn't say ask for Bentleys and and it will be given to you. Right. Right. So insofar as it relates to bearing fruit. And after you mentioned John 15, 7, I pointed out um, one of my favorite passages, Matthew 18, 19. Now, I'm actually going to read from verses 15 uh, through 19 because there's some stuff before verse 18 or before verse 19 that just amuses me. So bear with me for a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, and this is talking about somebody in the church, not necessarily a family member. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, they want, you've won them over. But if they won't listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hey, you, gotta, you see somebody sinning? Uh, we could reform this to, to be something other than sin. You've got a grievance with somebody. You see them uh, acting in a way that's problematic. You talk to them in private. If they don't listen, then you you know, stage an intervention, essentially. Uh, and if that doesn't work, you get to seven, verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Uh, I, I love it just because the Bible is always just kind of crapping on tax collectors, which amuses me. 
But uh, in verse 18, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This verse, by the way, is, is the foundation for Kevin Smith's film Dogma. Uh, the idea that, or a verse very much like it, it's possible because we're talking about the Gospels that this is echoed in several places. But essentially it's whatever you, the, the church body, you know, say is true, we're going to say is true in heaven. Uh, that tends to be more Catholic, as is the movie, movie Dogma. Uh, Protestant churches tend to have a slightly different take on this, but we'll get to apologetics in a moment. Matthew 18, verse 19, the relevant verse. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, this is stronger, I think, in some ways than the passage in John, because it doesn't say anything uh, about whether or not you're in good standing. It just, if you're a believer, if there are two or more of you, or if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now, the verse 20 that says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm with them, maybe it turns out if there's four, he no longer hangs out. He's only going to hang out if there's two or three, not four. And maybe megachurches are the problem. Maybe uh, just families praying is what we should actually have. Uh, and while I say that to be mildly amusing, uh, you'll find that there are people who actually make those sorts of arguments that, you, you know, uh, you don't need a church, you don't need a church like this, you certainly don't need a megachurch. But Matthew 18, 19 says that anything you ask for, God will give, which means that in the history of the world, there have never been no two believers who have ever asked for world peace or an end to poverty or an end to suffering or for hurricanes to go away. It doesn't say anything about, oh, you have to, you know, be the, the, a proper Christian. You can't be backslidden at all. You have to be correct in the word. It just says it's talking to the church. It's talking to the believers, talking about how to settle disputes in the church, and then says, whatever you ask for, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. World-renowned biblical exegete Matt Dillahunty did a little better this time by actually trying to read some of the immediate context into it, but then ignores all of it. So... That kind of happens, and it's back to Be nice, the random sentence theology. Uh, the context here is, if a brother sins against you, yes, that's the context. And then, of course, it goes on to talk about what you should do in the binding and loosing. This has to do with church discipline. And so when two people are, are more, two or three is an expression for more than one, mm -hmm. right? There's a, uh, you know, that means that Jesus is also present, mm -hmm. okay? And so when you are in agreement you know, because you want to establish these things. Um, the testimony of two or three witnesses in somebody who has wronged another person, and then two or more gathered, two or three mm -hmm. or more. Yeah. Jesus is there. Now, this is an expression that comes from the rabbis in the Mishnah. You will find that uh, when two or more are sitting uh, discussing the law, the Shekinah glory of God, the divine presence of God, which is now Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. using this to say, I'm that divine presence, you know, mm -hmm. I am there. Um, so whatever you're binding and loosing with regards to uh, someone who has sinned against another brother, you pray for that in agreement, and that will be done. Yeah, so specifically this is dealing with church discipline. 
Yes. So the context is church discipline. It's not hurricanes. Let's pray against hurricanes and pray for world peace and all those kind of things. Right. So again, the context is what informs what's being said here. Yes, and in fairness, there are also other world-renowned exegetes that will miss certain things because they want to harp on some other thing that means that who are Christians. Yes, and what they harp on because they glossed over the previous. Uh, context it has nothing to do with what they're harping on about. Yeah, so, so th- this is a common mistake for uh, even the most scholarly uh, of exegetes. And I don't think that Matt would do this, but some people will say something like, yeah, but who cares what the Bible says because that's the way most Christians think of it, that uh, you know they, they get together to pray for someone in a hospital who's dying, and they say, well, hey, there's two or three gathered together here, so you know all these kind of things. But just, that's like the Aaron Raw mistake, Aaron Raw mistake of saying, I don't care what faith or pistis meant in the Bible. I care how church people use the language. That's what I'm responding to. Yes, but here's the thing. Church people may be wrong about what the Bible means, we need to get back to what the Bible means to find out if what the Bible says about prayer is coherent or not. So you and I are standing in the line at McDonald's, and I said, ask whatever you wanted the, the person you can have it. Are you going to get seafood? And a fish fillet Probably sandwich doesn't not. count. Yeah, no, then no. I mean, that is seafood. Are you going to get salmon? Are you going to ask for salmon while it's we're standing It's not in available. We're the context is all wrong. Right, thank you. We should you. have gone to Captain D's, and I would have preferred to go to Captain D's. Right. Captain D's has salmon? Well, I don't know. Maybe. But they have seafood, and I now I just want Captain D's for lunch. <laughs> In any case, the point is, if you're going to actually try and make a little effort and read a few uh, other sentences before you engage in random sentence theology... Um, Try to understand what it is you're actually reading to people, or bust out uh, some commentaries. Yeah, and even if you're an atheist, even if you're yeah. an atheist, try to. And I think Matt has tried to some degree to familiarize yourself with what Christian thinkers have said about it, not just what church people say, because I've frankly never heard what he said. Some people say, which is, well, if you got four, that's too many. I've never heard. That I've ever. never in my life heard that. Uh, I don't doubt that Matt has heard that from someone in a church somewhere. But again, that just gets back to, look at what the best of Christian thinkers have said about a passage. Or even even liberal or non-Christian exegetes. There are, they, they exist too, and even they're not going to say anything like, yeah. ask for Bentleys and World Peace and it's going to be given because Jesus right. is hanging out with two or three but not four. Nobody says that. <laughs> okay, On, onward and upward. Okay. So I'll quickly paraphrase some of these verses because reading them gets distracting and I certainly don't have all of them memorized. We've already heard John 15, 7 and Matthew 18, 19 is a relevant verse here. Um, but this issue comes up of, well, do you get anything you ask for or does it only give you, can you only get what is according to God's will? So for example, 1 John 5, 14 talks about ask according to his will uh, and we know that he hears us and we know that we will obtain it. Um, but Matthew 7, 7 just says, ask and it will be given, seek and you shall find, uh, knock and the door will open. That may be a little kind of poetic, so you don't necessarily say, oh, it, it literally means ask and you'll get anything you want. Um, but Ephesians uh, six eighteen uh, says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of uh, prayers and requests. It doesn't specifically say anything about according to God's will or ask for the things that's already part of God's plan. Uh, just says ask with all kinds of prayers and requests. Um, 
Mark 11:24 says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have already received it and it will be yours, which is really strange. Uh, the, the, the tenses here, you, you're, I'm going to ask you for something and I'm supposed to believe that I've already see, received it, which may in fact be possible. You can't just, oh, I'm going to ask you for a million dollars and believe that I already have it. It may be that this is a language issue and what that really says, what that really means is when you ask for something, believe that it is going to happen and it will happen, uh, which is kind of more about the power of positive thinking than it is about anything related to uh, Christianity. But Psalm 102.17, he'll respond to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer or despise their plea. Um, this is basically saying that those people who are desperate can reach out to God and he will answer them. Um, the Lord's Prayer specifically tells, you know, how to pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, what if our daily bread isn't part of his will, is his plan? Uh, and Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking, you know, Lord, if it be thy will, remove this cup from my place. Now, here you have Jesus uh, asking for something. I doubt anybody could have been more right with God than Jesus. I mean, that, that just seems pointless to even try to argue. Uh, and if you apply that to these other verses, the fact that he prayed, uh, if it be your will, then take this away. Uh, and yet he was still supposedly killed then clearly it wasn't part of God's will, but Jesus should have known that, uh, which raises a whole bunch of other problems, but today we're gonna stick with this issue of prayer. Annoying Facebook debater, Matt Dillahunty, has oh, come done on what, now. Is, what is- <laughs> Be what, nice, what is called Be Shotgunning nice. proof texts. Um, he listed a whole bunch of more random sentences taken out from an anthology of, of collected works that we call the Bible. and has said, this one doesn't say anything about qualifiers, this one doesn't have anything about qualifiers, etc., etc., so that one doesn't either, so there's no getting around it. Oh, number one, I reject the premise. It's like the annoying Facebook debater who says, how do you deal with this Bible verse? How do you get around that? But Christians, listen to me, don't be stupid. No Christian is trying to get around a Bible verse or deal with a Bible verse as if it's a hassle. That kind of language is popular in Facebook arguments, but it's stupid. Anyway, okay, well, before before you go on, let me just say, um, first of all, the, you know, as I said in the last video, if you're going to try to figure out whether or not Christ, the Christian, the biblical perspective on prayer is coherent yeah. or workable, then you're, you're getting inside of, you're doing an internal criticism. So internally, what have Christians said about Scripture? They've said we compare Scripture with Scripture. We take a look at what Scripture has to say about this in a variety of places and figure out what the teaching of Scripture on that issue is. Now, I know that some of you will say, well, that's just presuming that it's, there's a unity there um, or that it's inspired of the Holy Spirit already or something. Right, because you're doing an internal criticism to see. Um, oh, even without that, even without that, we find... yeah, we can still get it without that. Right. But the second thing I wanted to say is, um, in the last video, Doctor Pritchett, I don't know if you saw it, but I did say, and I, I believe this for myself. I can't put this on you and saddle you with this. But when I make these videos, I try to respond to the person the way I would if it was a friend of mine or a family member who made a video like that. Uh, because everyone is someone's friend or someone's family member. Right. So uh, would you say 
what you just said to and about Matt Dillahunty to me if I said something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I I probably have and yeah you and you, you would probably do that to me too yeah sure yeah if, yeah and, and you would probably say stop acting like you're a dude on Facebook who argues 120 yeah. comments deep but anyway let's let's take First John five thirteen I write these things in following I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and this is the confidence that we have towards Him that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to... Here we go again with this sin business about sin in in the context of asking... There's a context. Right. Um, Sin uh, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, this is the very last sentence of the book, keep yourself from idols. Now, this is a book that talks about a Jesus who didn't come in the flesh and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So even a Jesus that's not the real Jesus is an idol, mm-hmm. right? And then brothers can sin, and this is how you know who true believers are and when people sin. In this right. context, asking for the salvation from sin and you know deliverance from a life of habitual sin and this life of eternal life that we have received in the Son that we have on Christ, uh, we need to be asking and petitioning God, and we know that he will hear us when we're asking him, you know, in prayer for brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin. Yeah, so the context of First John, correct me if I say anything wrong, Dr. Pritchett, uh, but the, the First John, the context is we have a church split here, basically, yeah. right? We've, is that right? We've got, we've got certain people that are saying things that are wrong and leaving the church yes. because of false beliefs about... Uh, the nature of Christ, yeah, right. And so uh, John is writing and say, "Look, here's how you can know that you've got it right." Yes, here, yeah. yeah. Here's how you know that you're a Christian. It's, yeah. a, it's a, about five different tests. And if you're a person who, by the way, struggles with doubt about their salvation, um, that's a that's a thing that some Christians experience. Right. Uh, that's a good book for you to study, and and because John's laying out there for you, you know. Yeah. So yeah, Matthew seven. 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Notice here it is bread and fish. It is not Bentleys mm-hmm. and Mega Millions Lottery mm-hmm. and stopping hurricanes and world peace and, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, and this is actually the parallel passage to the passage that was discussed in the last video where I brought in our pastor, Brett, to, to talk about it. Um this is where it's kind of interesting because there you get a little more information yeah. and you find out that uh, 
the, the point that Jesus, one of the points that Jesus makes in there is if you don't just go and ask, this is what he called bold persistence. Yes. And uh, you're, you're asking, uh, you're passionately praying for this. And I said there, I just finished Leonard Ravenhill's uh, Why Revival Tarries, and he emphasizes this desperation in your prayer that you're really, uh, you, you're really showing yourself and, and everything that you mean this. And, uh, and that's, that's as much for you as it is anything else. But here's the thing. That also means that these prayer studies, by the way, where they're doing a very clinical thing to try to figure out whether intercessory prayer works or not. I think this has to be one of the flaws in that. Because there it's all very clinical and it's very, let's find out if we pray and we knock on the door three times and God doesn't answer, okay, well, I guess prayer doesn't work anymore, blah, blah, blah. You know, no, no, no. That's not the kind of prayer that that, that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about passionate, desperate, you know. Yeah, and that's clinical, not relational anyway. Yeah. So... Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth around your with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up, your, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that my message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So this passage is about spiritual warfare. This passage is about the prayer is praying for boldness for Paul, praying for our ability to intercede with uh, other believers as we engage in these kinds of spiritual battles that we have to go through in life. Nothing here about asking for whatever, and this I think he said this was one of his favorites, but it's one of my favorites too, so I guess we have that in common, but I don't see this principle of if you ask for candy, you get candy. It's handy having a New Testament scholar standing around when yeah. you're wanting to record a Trinity radio episode. Mark 10, verses 20 through 26. Early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in its heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your wrongdoings. Now, this passage is a little bit complicated. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like what's being said here is that if we just have a little tiny bit of faith, we can just command a mountain to be moved, like literally physically moved, right? And Trump better not build that wall because uh, some immigrant who's a Christian could just pray and that wall just fly off into the ocean. Um, and it also means there's not been one single Christian in the history of the church that even has the little bit of faith necessary to command that mountain to move. Yes. I don't know what to do with this, Jonathan. 
Yes. Well, I do. Thankfully. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. Whew. Because okay, this there's a, in in Mark eleven. Mm-hmm. This passage follows right after Jesus turns over tables and, and overthrows the temple and the money changers and all of that and says this house has become a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, not just Israel, you know, yeah. all this. Uh, and before that, Jesus walks, they're walking to the temple. He sees the fig tree. Uh, it hasn't produced any uh, figs. Uh, the Bible explicitly says that it's it's out of season, so it's not like he really expected there to be any, mm-hmm. but he, it was he was... Fig tree is one of the symbols of Israel, mm-hmm. and he curses the fig tree, right? Yeah. Because it didn't have fruit, mm-hmm. kind of like Israel mm-hmm. at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Then he goes to the temple, overthrows the temple. Temple is a stand-in for the entire Israel covenant and cult practice of, of worship. Yeah. Yeah. The Old Testament covenant. Yes. The Old Covenant. Yes. And then they're leaving the temple after he overthrows it. Basically, mm-hmm. and then we also know from parallel gospels like John's gospel when he's at the temple, he whatever he was preaching that astonished them, as it says in Mark's gospel, we can go to other gospels like John and see that he was talking about this is going to go away, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but in Mark, it's pretty clear the imagery here in yeah. Mark, right? Right, uh, the, the, the symbolism here, and so moving mountains is just a rabbinic expression, right? Mm-hmm. About about doing seemingly impossible tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most often it's used in relation to studying, which is something that Matt Dillahunty should avail himself of. Uh, so, you know, but it, it's not too impossible if you try, right? But anyway. Um, but the point, the point is Jesus, in typical Jesus-like fashion, right. takes this uh, imagery that's often used or this saying among rabbis, yeah. and there actually is a mountain that's but but he does get specific. He doesn't just say move mountains. He right. says this mountain. This mountain. And of course, the one the temple sitting yeah. on top of. Well, that's my theory. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people poo poo that theory, and they say no, 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 no. It's just the, the the generic expression of seemingly impossible things. Either way works. Well, some others say it's the uh, if you're walking from Bethany there, and you see the mountain range that uh, Josephus uh, documented that, that Herod put a citadel there and literally moved a mountain mm-hmm. uh, or, or moved a hill uh, to place this uh, Herodian fortress there, mm-hmm. right? And some people think that's what he's talking about because mm-hmm. um, he shaped, uh, the, I mean, he changed the, 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 the skyline, so to speak, of the mountain, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josephus talks about that. Um, other people think that it's the Mount of Olives, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in any case, whatever you take the mountain to be, uh, or even if you take it as a general expression, the overall thrust of the context is like the fig tree, like the temple, like Israel, like the nation, right? Mm-hmm. It's all connected, and it's going to be tossed out. Anything that is in opposition to God's acts of saving humanity, mm-hmm. right, is can be overthrown. And if you're praying in that, you can assume that you've received it. That's a, that's a typical Jewish way of, of, of framing your mind in the past tense because yeah. you can rely upon God. It's also the language of uh, patrons can can speak it that way is assumed that because of past performance you can remain loyalty you know loyal and that's why it says have this loyalty have this pistis you know this faith that was the lesson he wanted to learn uh, wanted the disciples to learn when Peter pointed out that you know hey this fig tree which also for for as you've talked about in other passages probably Mark or, or probably uh, Peter was. Uh, 
Mark's eyewitness to this incident because mm-hmm. he says Peter noticed this. Right? Yeah. So there's another yeah. little thing for that collection that you're building up in previous videos about yeah. why yeah. Peter was Mark's source. But anyway, so so the the point is, if if whatever you're asking for, right, mm-hmm. has a context of Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come, and this system as it is now in covenant violation is going to be overthrown. So pray in that, have faith in God. And if you're in that, assume that it has been received. Why? Because Jesus is there among them. This is why right. uh, it's important to have your historical background, understanding of a text. It's important to think about the geography. Where is this taking place? What was visible? Now, uh, often, and I've seen it just this week on Twitter, people will say something like, well, yeah, but he's an omnipotent God. Omniscient and omnipotent. He should have been able to write a text where every culture would would be able to plainly see what he's trying to say instead of us having to do the work of trying to figure out the cultural dynamics at play for this document when it was written and okay, where. Okay, throw everything I just said out and just follow the keep reading principle. Yeah. You know, d- just read it in context. What is he talking about? What have you? Why have you already received it, right? What is... We talk about this all the time in resurrection context, uh, debates, right? It is a highly re- charged religious context. What are they praying to receive? Deliverance from exile and oppression from Rome, right? And, and they they are... A lot of the eschatological expectation among Israel in general was uh, Rome's going to be gone and Israel's going to rule... You know, Yahweh's going to rule the world from uh, Yeah, Jerusalem. he's going to bring a Davidic-like right. Messiah who's going to uh, you know liberate us from Rome. So everything that you... Pray for in respect to those forces that are opposed to God's actions in time, uh, in this religious context, for to bring about the deliverance of His people, uh, Israel, and the world. And Mark's gospel mm-hmm. is really interested in the world. That's why uh, Jesus in Mark's gospel is quoting Isaiah about the house being a prayer for all the nations, a house of prayer, and not mm-hmm. just for Israel, but for all the nations. It's kind of that inclusiveness, if you understand the audience, intended audience of, of Mark's gospel. So as it relates to this eschatological expectation of Yahweh's good rule and stewardship, the inbreaking of the kingdom, right? Um, the, the, the tossing out of the old order, the old covenant, that which was, invi- you know, the covenant violation that they had. You know, why are we still under the rule of Rome? Why is it not as it should be? Well, that that has a a, a long history with the prophets leading up to the final prophet, Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Uh, calling Israel back to the covenant. And now it's the time's up. There's there's something new happening. A, a new covenant is being formed. And I want you to notice here that uh, typically there is this idea that apologists have to do this tap dancing to get around what's really being said. Notice there's no tap dancing here. We're not tap dancers. No, what I this is proper exegesis, considering historical backgrounds yeah. and a lifetime of study in these things. It tells you what it actually so means. So, whatever you, everything that you asked for in this, what are you? What were they asking for? What is the everything qualified by in the context? Mm-hmm. The context is clearly those forces that are entrenched in opposition against what Yahweh is doing. You know, even go on to Acts and with Stephen, you know, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? You know, these movements of God. Mm-hmm. This, this, the, the corruption of the temple is representative of the broken violation uh, that Israel's in with the covenant as a whole, right? Which and, is the context, the turning right. of the tables and stuff. Right, and, yeah. and the fig tree. Yeah. Right, that's why it's the, the, the story of the fig tree is sandwiched 
around, you know, the meat in the middle is the temple incident, mm-hmm. right? And you got the fig tree incident before, and then Peter noticing it on the way back. This is, it's, it's, you know, just the keep reading principle. Find out what's going on in the passage. And yeah, if you do have to do a little work, it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not really hard to do. There's a million resources out there that you, that that Matt Dillahunty should avail himself of, or anyone who can avail themselves of. And tr- instead of you know trying to form this random sentence systematic theology about if you ask for whatever you want, period, unqualified, whatever you should get it. Well, I asked for a zillion dollars and I didn't get it, so this Bible's false. That's silly, and and no other book is treated that way, by the way. Right, you know. So, uh, you know, it's just. Reading a little bit more will, will also help. Now, he did mention one other, um, Psalm 102, uh, and we'll, you know, about the, the uh, he will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute, and he will not despise their prayer. And, and context, you know, uh, then, I'll start in verse 15, then the nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth uh, your glory, for the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute, which is the verse he's quoting, and will not despise their prayer. That's not one of those ask anything and you'll get it kind of things, but he's just saying he's going to hear the, the, the prayers of these destitute people. Uh, this will be written for a later, next sentence, this will be written for a later generation, and all uh, and people who have not been created will praise the Lord. So it starts off uh, with an individual who's uh, talking about, I mean, he's got pain in his bones and all kinds of things, kind of physical ailment, and then moves to the, the, to the plight of Zion, right? And so it's talking about uh, God's going to hear the destitute in this horrible situation, and God will deliver us, and this deliverance will be written about, Right? And later generations are going to praise God for what he's going to do in this kind of turnabout for Israel, mm-hmm. right? And for Zion, it's going to be, you know, God's going to rebuild it, and it's going to be great. And while it's not great, you have destitute people, but God is going to hear them, and then he's going to do a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what he brought that text in for. Uh, but you know what I haven't said? Well, you asked for, um, you know, a promotion or a raise, but you just... You just not you're not in the will of God. I never said that, mm-hmm. which is one of the things he normally hears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never punted and said, "Well, uh, I prayed for a million dollars, but it's just not God's will for me to have a million dollars, and yeah. that's how I'm getting out of that." No, uh, he did mention, you know, uh, that he says, "Yeah, that's probably not a good." Pr-. I mean, so at least he kind of conceded that point. Mm-hmm. But it, but his his other challenge is the hurricanes and suffering and all that. Aren't there destitute people now? It's got a hearing. Uh, yes, but of course, um, just wanting every suffering to stop as if God has no purpose in it, right? right. Uh, just just asking for everything because <clears throat> it inconveniences you. Yeah. Um, also, some of those passages, whatever you ask for, the you is plural, so they're corporate prayers, not individual wants, you know, yeah. and, and they're corporate prayers in the context of what is it, is it about restoring a brother, is it, you know, is it about bearing fruit, is it about boldness and spiritual warfare and perseverance and intercession for other believers, whatever, a lot of those are corporate prayers, not just individual whatever you Braxton ask in mm-hmm. my name. If it's my will, now, or if you're in it, my will, you it should be said, and we've said this in several other videos that if you follow the biblical directives, your prayers get answered. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've asked things in accordance with God's will that would glorify Him, that were spiritual things in a spiritual warfare, 
in the midst of evangelistic events, I've asked for I've asked for specific numbers of people to repent and believe the gospel, and um, uh, it's not always been the case. We have to keep in mind people have free wills, and I believe that God influences them with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But they still have the uh, they can still resist, like you said in the Stephen story. Why are yeah. you resisting the Holy Spirit's work? And um, but I've prayed for specific numbers and had it many many times. You say, well, that could happen by chance. It could. But I've been doing evangelistic events for 20 years. Yeah, when the coincidences start to stack up. See, I yeah. love, I, you know, we're big uh, believers in God's providence, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we believe in free will, we also believe in providence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we also believe in sovereignty, and those three things are not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Are not things to even pit against one another. That's not how this all works. But yeah. So this is actually not even all there is to say about prayer. This is... This is looking at certain passages that he brought up. This is this is atheist Bible studies. You know, we ought to start a thing like that. Whenever we find atheists misusing Bible verses, um, but uh, a holistic- I think. Wait a minute. I think that should be a line of response videos. You do, yeah. Because as you can see, Doctor Pritchett's good at this and understands this side of it, and. Uh, there are a lot of, or at least there's a couple of YouTube channels that are very popular atheist Bible study ones where they go through a, te- a piece of text each time going through the Bible and point out what they think is wrong with it or whatever. Wow. Uh, if you think that Dr. Jonathan Pritchett should do a line of response videos like that on biblical data, then let us know in the comments. Oh, there you go. But a holistic lo- view of prayer also involves our sanctification and our increasing holiness, Right. It's not just a matter of us asking God things, that we want stuff, like he's a genie in the sky, and prayer is all about telling God all of our problems and then asking him to fix all of them. You know, the prayer is more than that. Prayer is also thanksgiving, praise. Prayer is, is, is exalting God to God. You know, mm-hmm. it's divine communication. Uh, so in addition to asking God for things, it also changes us in the sense that we recognize that when God does answer prayers that we have asked for because we have certain needs or whatever, and we see those prayers answered, we see that God is reminding us, and it changes us, that all the good gifts that we receive come from Him, right? Amen. Every good and perfect gift comes Amen. from Him. Amen, that's right. So, uh, as James says, so we are constantly in the rem- being reminded that God uh, is the one who is looking out for us. And all of these answered prayers that we get, uh, some of our prayers that, you know, I have actually prayed selfish prayers in my life. And sure, we all have. And I and I see n- uh, no reason why God should have answered them in the first place, right? I admit they're selfish when for, we're praying them. Right. No, uh, but that doesn't help your case either. <laughs> he still says no. At least no. I'm being honest. He still <laughs> says no, right? But but I'm reminded when Not God always. answers the prayer He gives good it, gifts to his children. Yeah. Um, bread and fish. But I'm reminded that it wasn't me. It wasn't my ingenuity. It wasn't my cleverness. It wasn't just my labor mm-hmm. that produced this good outcome that I was telling God I was hoping for. Yeah. But it is a reminder to me that God is there. He's looking out for me, and he has my best interests. And that changes me mm-hmm. for the better. So uh, that's a, a little bit broader view than what we were dealing with with specific passages. But this, this kind of blank check prayer request thing is not anywhere found in the Bible. Yes, the phraseology may sound general. Ask whatever, right? But if I'm at McDonald's and say, order whatever, you can't order things that are not on the menu. Right. And let's also remember that in my name, that in my name language is 
uh, well, that's again that patron client type stuff. Yeah. It's you're asking things that would be consistent with the person you, with your patron, yeah. the person who you're who you're asking in the name of. Yeah. All right, because well, you'd only want to do things that would honor him and not right. Yeah, you know. and just saying by the way, those God, if I had a million, if you let me win this lottery, you know how many wonderful things in I would your tie name. So would much, do, right? Yeah, yeah, it's not gonna work. <laughs> He doesn't need that from you. Right. He doesn't need you. Right. That's what I love about Acts 17, as if he needed anything, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, listen, uh, we've got uh, some other shows that we'd like you to check out. We'd like you to check out Soteriology 101. Hey, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing the T-shirt. You can get these T-shirts, by the way. That's this the T-shirt from the Soteriology and Election class at Trinity that right. Dr. Layton Flowers teaches. But Dr. Layton Flowers has got a show. Um, on YouTube. On YouTube. Soteriology and, uh, 101. Yep. And so check that out if you're into theological discussions, kind of like some of what we've done here. Um, and then we also, the Bible Brodown, um, they do this sort of stuff all the time, not yeah. necessarily responding to atheists, but trying well, to... They understand. have what been is, doing response videos, though. Yeah, they have. Try to figure out what does the Bible really mean when it says this or that. And um, so, so check them out, uh, Billy Wendelin and Matt Chisholm. And uh, Steve Gregg, The Narrow Path, if you want to have a comprehensive understanding of the whole Bible, uh, he's got a verse-by-verse through the whole Bible, and um, you should do that. Uh, You know, we uh, are part of—we are professors at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. That's why this is called Trinity Radio. If you're interested in going further and maybe uh, becoming uh, a person, you know, that professionally does this, or someone who wants to go into ministry uh, in a vocational way or not in a vocational way. Or if you're, you know, just wanting to be able to respond to atheists and learn more, you know, like what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, sharpen your exegetical and apologetic skills. Then visit us at Trinity Sem, that's Trinity S-E-M.edu today, and fill out that, we call it an evaluation form, on the right-hand side of the screen. And uh, we, we'll give you some information and, and uh, start a conversation with you. Even if you think it's going to be two years before you're at that point, go ahead and fill out the eval so you can find out when we offer new things and stuff like that. All right. Well, I've enjoyed this, Dr. Pritchett. Maybe on top of all of that, you say, I see great value in what you guys are doing. And if I was your friend, if I lived near you, I'd take y'all to lunch or buy you a cup of coffee every now and then. Hey, we really like people like you because we like cups of coffee and we like lunches. He so if you'd like to give to this program, uh, perhaps the equivalent of a lunch or a cup of coffee once a month, then you can click in the top right-hand corner of this screen or you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Radio and become one of our monthly patrons. We really appreciate that. It enables us to do things that the school doesn't you know, we don't have allocated funding for Trinity Radio, so we raise it this way. And uh, if you'd be willing to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.